scripture reading before the lesson tonight is 1 John 1, 5 through 7. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. One of the most beautiful words in the entire Bible is the word fellowship. It's been said that Christianity can be summed up in three B's. Believing, behaving, and belonging. When we come to Christ and we obey the gospel, we do so because we believe certain things. We believe in a Savior who can ransom us from our sins. He's the only one who can do so, John 14, verse 6. We're going to behave a certain way because we die to sin and we present ourselves as slaves, as servants of God when we become Christians. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. And when we become Christians, not only do we believe some things, and not only do we behave differently, but we belong to a new group. The Bible says in Acts 2 verse 47 that the early Christians, when they were baptized, were added by the Lord himself to the church. We belong with one another. We belong to the Lord and we belong to one another as family. It's about that need to belong and about how we ought to behave as a result of the fact that we belong that I want to talk to you tonight. You can't live the Christian life in isolation. It's just impossible to do. When you read the New Testament, you are overwhelmed with one another passages. And if that weren't enough, you're overwhelmed with together type passages. This word fellowship, it's a beautiful word and it's a very frequently used word throughout your New Testament. As you just kind of read through the pages of the New Testament, you'll see that phrase, that word together over and over. Christians are, the Bible says, saints together. We are sanctified, we're holy, but we're holy together. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. The Bible also says that we are to work together. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Fellow workers. So not only are we believing the same things and we've been cleansed from our sins, but we are to work together, work side by side, work with the people of God. That demands our cooperation. That demands our humility, and it's not always easy to work with other people, even under the best of circumstances. But because we love the Lord and because we love each other, we work together. The scripture says that we are joined together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21. The scripture teaches that when Jesus died, he took down every barrier that would have legitimately kept us apart. Everything that could have possibly kept us separated, all of that was removed by the cross. And Jesus has joined together both Jew and Gentile, that's as far separated as you could have gotten in the first century, into one body, joined. 
The Bible indicates in the very next verse in Ephesians 2 verse 22 that we are being built together into a holy temple, a dwelling place. The church is a temple. It's a dwelling place of God. And every individual member is a brick in that edifice, in that building. And our relationship to one another is like bricks that depend on all the other bricks. We're built together into a body, into a temple. The scripture indicates that we are held together, Ephesians 4.16, by what every joint supplies Ephesians 4.16 describes the church as a body and it's, it's talking about how your fingers and your elbow and, and all those things, they have joints and ligaments. And, and the only reason why my hand stays on the end of my arm is because of those joints and ligaments. It's held together by those things. And the ind- indication of Ephesians 4.16 is that when the church functions in proper biblical fellowship, everything's held together properly by what every joint Every ligament supplies. The church is described as being knit together. I like that. Colossians chapter 2 verse 2. Hearts that have been knit together in love. That's the phrase that Paul uses there. Because we love God and because we love the people of God so much, there are friendships and there are relationships that are built among the people of God And the neat thing about those relationships is there's love here, love now, but there's love forevermore because it's the kind of love that death can't stop. It can't overwhelm. That's one of the things Jesus meant when he said, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the church that I'm going to build. Matthew 16, verse 18. Even death can't stop the love that God's people have one for another. The Bible indicates that we are going to, on the last day, those who remain alive, we're going to be caught up together with those who have died and risen from the graves, and so we shall meet the Lord in the air. What's the point? The point is, this idea of togetherness and sharing and fellowship and participation and cooperation, this idea is a thoroughly New Testament idea, and we can't really function as New Testament Christians in isolation from one another. Just can't be done. The need for fellowship. What I want us to do with our study this evening is just simply this. I want us to give our attention to five passages, first of all, that talk about why fellowship is such a vital need for people, for Christians. And then secondly, I'd like to share with you six reasons why fellowship is a blessing or six blessings that we get from fellowship. With that in mind, let's turn our attention first of all to the need for it. Why do people need fellowship anyway? Isn't it kind of optional? Isn't it kind of something that you can just take or leave? I mean, Jesus, yes, I can understand Jesus is essential. I I need him. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. I need Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I need him and I need him to cleanse me from my sin. I understand that. But really, isn't fellowship just something that it's nice when we have it, but it's not really a need? Consider with me five passages. Passage number one, by the way, it's not a luxury, it's a necessity, according to the New Testament. Passage number one is this, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 says this, Take care, brothers, 
lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading to you or leading you to fall away from the living God. So the first thing he says is, be careful that you don't have an unbelieving heart, an evil heart that's going to cause you to walk away from God. And then, as a remedy for that, he gives this advice, inspired advice. It's a command. But exhort one another every day. Who's he talking to? Members of the church. Exhort one another daily, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the passage teaches that when we encourage and exhort one another on a daily basis, it's one way in which our hearts being hardened can be prevented. Is fellowship just a luxury? Is it just something that, you know, we could take it or leave it? It's a necessity, according to Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. A second passage. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 25 and 26. And the scripture says... Let there be no division in the body. He's talking about the church in this passage. And when he says, let there be no division in the body, he's talking about a local congregation. Let there be no division, but let the members have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The passage teaches that we are to have a mutual concern and interest in each other's lives. One of the reasons why we have a prayer list in the bulletin and why we make announcements at our services is because we genuinely want to have a compassionate concern for each other. We want to celebrate things like baptisms and births and we want to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep because that's what the Bible says fellowship is all about. And we want to remember each other in our prayers. It's about fellowship. And the body is not really a body and it doesn't function as a body. If I take my hammer and I pound on my finger and my finger is really hurting, but the rest of my body says, you know what, not a big deal. It's not really functioning the way the body's supposed to function, is it? We mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. It's not a luxury, it's a necessity. Third passage. Why do we need fellowship so badly? Why is this something that God is interested in? 1 Peter 4 verses 8 through 10 teaches, Above all, Christians, keep loving each other earnestly, fervently, one translation says. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Every one of us has something that we can give to someone else. We have something that we can contribute to the working together of the body. And the scripture is teaching that God's body, God's church functions in the best way when we take seriously our responsibility to love and to meet the needs of, that's hospitality, and to minister to one another. Incidentally, how can you obey the Lord's will while ignoring all the one another passages? There are three of them just in this little section. Love one another, be hospitable to one another, and minister to one another, serve one another. Three one another passages and three verses. 
How can you really say, I love the Lord and I'm following his commandments when I've got no interest in the one another's? Need for fellowship. Passage number four. Galatians 5.13. You are called, brethren, to freedom. But do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. People look at their lives and they read the Bible and they say, I've got liberty, I've got freedom. God has not given a command in this particular area in any specific way. I can choose how I'm going to spend my time. I can choose what I'm going to do with my time and my energy. But God says, don't use your liberty to gratify yourself. Don't use your liberty just to make you happy, just to please you. That's using it as an opportunity for the flesh. Use your freedom through love to serve one another. Improving your serve. Use your liberty for others. Next, why is fellowship so essential? 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21. The scripture says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Stop right there. I've met a lot of people who profess to love God. I appreciate that. I'm glad there are people that want to love God, especially in today's day and time. But John takes it a step further. John says, it's not enough just to say I love God. If I don't identify who my brethren are, If I don't understand who the people are that belong to God, and if I don't simultaneously love them, if I say I love God but I hate by either neglect and dissembling, or if I hate by active malice, my brother, I am a liar in saying that I love God. For, it goes on to say, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must, must, must love his brother. Is fellowship a luxury? Is it something that's just, it's there and it's a blessing, but not really all that essential? The New Testament would argue absolutely not. It's a necessity. We cannot do without it. Spiritually, we cannot do without it. All that said, let's turn our attention secondly tonight to this, the blessings of fellowship. Six specific blessings. There are more than these, but six for you to reflect on. What benefit does it have in my life and in the lives of others when fellowship is real and it's genuine, when we love each other and we are concerned about each other and we we mutually are serving one another? What are the blessings that come from that? Blessing number one, it keeps us from self-centered isolation. Counselors and psychologists have done studies on people who have been isolated for prolonged periods of time. You know what happens in every case? People turn inward. When we're isolated from humanity, when we're isolated from others for long periods of time, we start to turn inward. We think about ourselves and what's going on with me and how I feel today and my problems and my challenges and my struggles and my dreams, but it's all about me, me, me constantly. Self-centered isolation. 
Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. It's not about you and it's not about me and what I want. It's about others. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out for his, not only his own interests, but also the interests of others. When we get fellowship right, it's a blessing for us because it reminds us there are other people in the world and they matter. They matter to God and therefore they ought to matter to me. And it helps us to get out of ourselves and get over ourselves in some cases and to see what's truly important. Self-centered isolation is not pleasing to God. Second blessing of fellowship When fellowship is what it's supposed to be, the body of Christ is built up in love. I have got in my office a slew of books that have been written by church growth experts. How are churches going to grow? How do they mature? How do they they grow relationally? How do they grow numerically? How do they grow in budgets? And, And all these wise people have gone to school for years asking the question, what makes the church grow? And really all they need to do is open their Bibles to Ephesians because Ephesians talks about this very thing. Listen to what the the writer of Ephesians says. He says to the church, when we speak the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Church growth is about Christ. It's about growing into Christ's likeness. It's about our character and our ambitions and our goals and our dreams being the same character and ambitions and goals and dreams that Jesus would have for us. That's what church growth begins with. And then it says, when that's right, when we've got Christ's likeness as our goal, from Him, it says, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped there's that illustration I used just a minute ago when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love fellowship when it's right when it's what God would have it to be is winsome and it's healthy and it's sound and it causes the body to grow into Christ likeness And what's really neat about that is it also incorporates evangelism. Because as the people of God, we want others to know Christ like we do. We want others to have a relationship with Him like we do. Because there's something in Him and there's something in the way that He provides for us that nobody else can offer. God's people need fellowship because that's how the body of Christ is built up. Number three, blessings of fellowship. Fellowship reminds us of our mutual hope. What are you hoping for in your life? What are you looking forward to? If I were to ask you to sit down and write down your dreams and your goals and your ambitions for the future, what are you looking forward to? I'll tell you this, whatever the future holds... The people of God have got a bright future. As a matter of fact, it's been well said, the future for God's people is as bright as the promises of God. It's a bright future. No matter what our country's doing or what the world around us is saying, the hope that people who belong to God have, it's a mutual hope, it's a shared hope. Paul was writing about death and life and resurrection 
in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 17 and 18. He was talking about what's going to happen at the end of time. And he says, here's what's going to happen. Those who are alive at the end of time, who are left, they will be caught up together, there's that word again, with them, that is the dead, that have risen from the dead, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So what's going to happen at the end of the time? All the, uh, at the end of time, all the dead will rise and all those who are living will be changed and we will all rise up to meet the Lord in the air according to this passage. But he doesn't stop there. Look at what he says in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're supposed to talk to each other about these things. We're supposed to encourage one another with these things. We're looking forward to the day when we are reunited and when we see one another and we see the Lord and meet him in the air. We're to be encouraged and comforted by that. Fellowship reminds us of our mutual hope. Next, what are the blessings of fellowship? Fellowship, brothers and sisters, identifies us as genuine followers of Christ. You say you're a Christian. You say you belong to Jesus. How does anybody know? One of the evidences, not the only one, is fellowship. Do I belong to God's people? Take a look at this passage, John 13, verses 34 and 35. The words of Jesus, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now watch. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. How do people know that I'm a Christian? One of the ways they ought to know I'm a Christian is because of the love that I show for other Christians. Yes, I'm concerned about people who are outside of Christ. Yes, I'm concerned about people who need to know the gospel and need to hear it. But there's something about the love that Christians have for one another that is not only a blessing because everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be, belong and, and be accepted and be appreciated. Everybody wants those things. That's a blessing in and of itself. But the love, that acceptance and love and blessing and, and those things, it's also an evidence to unbelievers. By this shall all people know that you're my disciples because they see the way that you treat each other and they know that Christ is among you. That's the idea. Next, blessings of fellowship. What does it do? How does it bless us? Fellowship allows us to experience what it's like to be part of a family. And when we talk about that, we're talking about things like acceptance and belonging and familiarity and love. Some people, the only time they ever receive a physical hug from anybody is when they come to the church building. Or when they see a fellow Christian in the grocery store. Some people are like that. Maybe you're blessed with a family that you live with and you've got people that you love and you're glad to be around and you have a good time with your family and that's a blessing, that's a wonderful thing. There are some people that the only time they ever have any sense of belonging and fitting in and, and being loved is in the family of God. 
And all of us, no matter what our families look like, all of us need to appreciate that more. Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. Jesus didn't save us just to forgive us of our sins and just to, just to make us right with God. Jesus saved us so that we could be part of the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we're to treat each other that way. And we're to think about each other that way. It's a blessing. What are the blessings of fellowship? When fellowship is genuine, God's work is advanced. We want God's work to go forward in the world. We want God's work to be done, his will to be done in the world around us. When fellowship is genuine, that starts to happen. Watch this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. The apostle Paul had not been in the presence of the apostles. And in Galatians 2, he recounts the first time he went and met all the apostles together. And the Bible says that they compared notes on what they were teaching. Paul, what gospel are you teaching? Tell us, what must we do to be saved? And Paul gave his answer. And then James and John and Peter, they, they gave their answer. And they compared notes and they found out, you know what? We're teaching the same gospel. This is great. And the Bible says that when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, when they perceived the grace that was given to me, Paul says. In other words, they listened to Paul, and Paul explained how he was an apostle just like they were. They gave me the right hand of fellowship. And not just me, but Barnabas too. Because Barnabas was my fellow laborer, and he was teaching the same things I was. And the Bible says that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. We recognize that we're teaching the same things and we're serving the same Lord and we've been saved in the same way and we have fellowship with each other and we love each other and we appreciate each other's ministries. And so you guys, Peter, Cephas, and John, or excuse me, James, Cephas, and John, you guys go to the circumcised. You go to the Jews. Paul, you go to the Gentiles. You go to the uncircumcised. And we're going to work together and we're going to serve the Lord together. When fellowship is genuine, we're not writing a bunch of ugly things about each other behind our backs and we're not casting aspersion on others and we're not suspiciously looking at what somebody else is doing. When fellowship is genuine, God's work is done. And if there were no other reason to practice biblical fellowship, isn't that a good one? that God's work might go forward in the world and souls might be saved and brought to him. We need fellowship. We can't survive spiritually without it. Years ago, there was a fellow that was out of duty. He had been a faithful Christian and for whatever reason, he had started to dissemble. He stopped attending. And a preacher went, and this was a cold part of the country, and the preacher went and knocked on the door, and the man opened the door, and he went and sat down, the preacher did, without saying a word. And they sat in front of the fire. And the man and the, pre the preacher were sitting there looking at the fire, looking at the coals in the fire, and nobody said a word. The preacher reached in with the poker and pulled one of the embers out of the fire. And that red-hot glowing ember when it got pulled out of the fire, became cold and gray pretty quickly. And then the preacher quietly shoved that ember back into the fire 
And just within a matter of seconds, all of a sudden, that, that ember was red hot again. And the man looked at the preacher and said, I understand your point, preacher. I'll be back this Sunday. There's something about fellowship that warms the heart, ignites our spiritual passion, and it's a mutual thing. We encourage one another and share with one another in what it means to be Christians. That's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for all of us. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. There's only one way for that to happen. Jesus died on the cross so that you might be saved. And he wants you to come to him in submissive, obedient faith. Repent of your sin. Reject the ways that you've been living and start living for Jesus today. That's repentance. Confess that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be and that you want him to be the Lord of your life and be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sin. It's at the point of baptism that we become New Testament Christians and we are participating in the new birth at that point. We're being born again into a family, the family of God. If you have a need to make that decision this evening, or if you have a need that you'd like for us to pray for and pray about, heaven's invitation is yours while together we stand and while we sing.